You're listening to the Mistress of None podcast with Aaron Harks. Hello, hello, hello. This is Aaron Harks with Mistress of None. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I have uh, full disclosure. I have been recording this myself and it's been a bit of a learning process. So I do apologize if the audio has not been amazing. I'm getting there. I'm learning. Um, (laughs) It's it's been an interesting process. I am learning, but I know that sometimes, uh, like the clips, uh, cut out. I use my phone as backup just in case the software I use doesn't record. It's all user error. So for those of you that have been listening, I really appreciate your patience. Maybe you're just too kind to tell me if it sucks. I don't really fully listen back unless I like have to edit some stuff out because if I listen back, I will throw the whole thing away because I am way too critical of myself like most artists are so um thanks for for listening and not caring I guess is what I'm trying to say this is a very exciting week for me very special week um I this will air on what will be my 13th sober anniversary and I uh started the podcast out the very first episode that I did I I interviewed myself, I guess. I talked about being sober because of all the things that I do, that is the most important. And without it, I wouldn't be able to do anything else. And that is not hyperbole. That is accurate. That is correct. Without my sobriety, I would have nothing. And that is the absolute truth. And so I wanted, this is a very special episode. I interviewed one of my favorite people, fellow uh, sober lady, author. She's amazing. We had such a great, discussion and connection and I can't wait to play that for you all but I wanted to start with a little story about another little sober story I know I shared it online uh, last month but I wanted to share it with those of you that may not have seen it Uh, I am as you all know a musician comedian I'm out in bars all the time and somehow managed to go all 13 years without even accidentally taking a sip of alcohol Uh, until this August. I was out in Wyoming visiting family and there was a lot of people around and I just picked up the wrong drink and had a full sip of it. And had a full sip of it before I even realized that it was alcohol. And I... Some of it got down. I spit the rest of it out. It was weird because as I was doing it, like my brain was like, that's not your drink. That's not your drink. Like, and it just took my hand a second to catch up. So initial thoughts as an alcoholic, you think like, was it really an accident? Did I do it on purpose? You know, did I subconsciously do it? A lot of one of the scariest things for me being in um, recovery and going to AA is you hear stories about people that relapse and a lot of stories are they basically woke up with a drink in their hand like they had no intention of relapsing it's just something happened and next thing you know they were drinking and that terrifies me of course it does 
I have never had like a shaky moment where I wanted to. There have been two moments where I briefly like thought about drinking and it scared me enough to get me like right to a meeting and get myself all checked out. But I never had like it's always depicted in TV shows about, you know, people like reaching for a drink and struggling every single day. And that's not really what it is. I mean, it's hard work, but it doesn't have to be like that. So uh, my my brain immediately told me that, you know, I fucked up. Um, and that like, you know, you start wondering if that's considered a relapse and that's really scary. Like that is a really scary place to be in because I, I stay away from that next drink by telling myself, even if I had as much as a sip, I know I would, I would make it count. I would go balls out and I would probably be honestly dead within a matter of hours. Cause it would not stop. I would like make it count. You know what I mean? And so I went into the house. I tried to make myself throw up. I could not do it. I went back out. I got my husband. I, I talked to him and he was just very like calm and he hugged me and he said, you're fine. It was an accident. Don't worry about it. You're okay. And, you know, my siblings were there and they were both super supportive and, and empathetic and caring and understanding. And But what I needed was to talk to another alcoholic. And I messaged my sponsor and I messaged some other sober people that I know. And I went on Facebook on this like all women's group and I messaged and I put up my story and the people that just reached out to me to say like, you're fine. It was an accident. You didn't relapse. Like it was, it really helped me because like I said, at that point I could have gone either way. Like my brain just was like nuts. Um, The best thing that they all told me was that it's not a relapse. It's all about intention. And you didn't intend to drink that. And so that's what I needed to hear. And it took me a few days to believe it. And it was really scary and really sad. And, you know, I, like, again, I felt like I failed. And that's not a good feeling to have. But I did not relapse. Um, the difference is I immediately told people and that I immediately tried to make it better and that I was upset about it. It was like if it was a relapse or if it was intentional, I wouldn't have told anybody. I would have hit it. I may have, may have had more. I wouldn't have tried to make myself throw up, etc. I wouldn't have told on myself. I wouldn't have called my sponsor. But it all worked out. It made me really grateful for the program of recovery and the community that I've built of support for when things go wrong. They are always there. Um, I was in Jackson, Wyoming. I was able to go online and find a meeting the next day. I drove into town and went to a meeting, room full of strangers, shared my story. Uh, so many other people, like I had a similar thing. I was at a wedding and somebody, you know, gave me the wrong drink or like I had rum cake or whatever. And everybody had a different story and it just made me feel a lot better. And obviously like I've been so vigilant up until this point and now I'm going to be even more vigilant like if you see me at a club or at a show I almost always have a giant sippy cup you know to make sure that I don't pick up the wrong cup and uh, I'm just going to continue that and just keep going strong but I guess I guess I just want to share this if anybody else like has anything similar that they've gone through uh, just know it's not the end of the world. And I know that a lot of people have reached out to me for, for help getting sober. And I'm so grateful for that. And it's, it's so possible. And honestly, my life has just gotten better. Like even the bad days are 
are not as bad uh, being sober. You're still going to have really bad days. Like life is still going to happen, but the way you handle it and the way you live through it is entirely different. And in the 13 years that I've been sober, I, you know, I was able to quit my day job. I was able to marry a really good man um, who's age appropriate and not codependent and <laughs> like lets me be me. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a really great life. Even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. And if anybody out there is listening and struggling, uh, you're not alone. And if you're ready for help, all you have to do is ask. And there are so many people, including myself, that are willing to help. And let me tell you, it's not it's not easy, but it's always worth it. So thank you for listening, uh, especially to that part. I know sometimes it's not as much fun as the other ones when I interview comedians and musicians and whatnot, but I still really enjoyed this interview. Uh, this woman's name is Diane Cameron, and we're going to talk a little bit about how we actually knew each other before I got in to AA and she's always been such an inspiration to me. I love that we share an anniversary month. We've gotten to celebrate our anniversaries together almost every year since I've been sober and just listening to her speak has always been something that I look forward to. Uh, she's an author as well. She's written many books on the topic and she's just a delightful human being. So I really hope that you enjoy the interview uh, coming up next, we got Diane Cameron on Mistress of None. I'm Aaron Harks, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mistress of None podcast with Aaron Harks. Good evening. This is Erin Harks with the Mistress of None podcast, and I am at the Gilderland Public Library with my good friend, tonight's guest, Diane Cameron. Diane, how are you? I am very good and very happy to be here with you. I am so happy to have you. You sat with me through my technical difficulties. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I learned a lot watching. <laughs> I, I learned a lot doing it, so we'll see how that goes. But um, thank you so much. Uh, there's a very important reason why I have Diane here with me. Um, for those of you that have been listening uh, since the beginning, the very first episode that I did was me discussing my sobriety. And this episode will air on what will be my 13th sober anniversary on October 25th. And I have been wanting to talk to somebody sober that would be perfect for this podcast. And the first person that popped into my mind was Diane, who tonight, while we're recording this, is celebrating 39 years. So you have three times as much wow. sobriety. I know I'm good at math, right? Wow. <laughs> you have three times as much sobriety as I do. And I, I am flattered that you would spend such a significant day with me. And I have been inspired by you from day one since actually since before we got sober, but we'll get to that. Yes, that's an old story. That's an old story <laughs> that we're going to get to. But I, I honestly couldn't be more honored that you would spend this day with me tonight. Thank you so much well, for that. You are my sober sister and people in recovery get that and other people may not. But there is there is a sisterhood and a brotherhood in this in this recovery movement. 
and it's so 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 important part of the community is what keeps us sober just the contact uh, the contact uh with one another and um the the AA community and just having people that you can reach out to that can inspire you that you know can keep you sober and it's just such an amazing program um now I knew Diane before I got into the rooms I <laughs> Um, back when I was a temp, <laughs> I, you're, you're still a temp. Actually, I, I still am a temp. I still, you know, I'm still doing multiple jobs at at once. But uh, it, can I say where we worked? Yeah. Okay. I took a job as a receptionist at a place called Clearview Center on Central Ave, and one of my favorite people there Aww. was was you. Um, I didn't get to see you that often, but you were always very pleasant. Some people barely talk to me, and that's fine. But you always walked through. You were always very pleasant and happy and were always very kind to me. And I remembered that, you know. And so fast forward, I actually lost that job because I didn't show up one day. Oops. Because I was drunk. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was fired unfairly. And... um, Years later, I got sober, and one of the first meetings I went to uh, was at the end of October. And so you just happened to be speaking, and I was like, I know this woman. Wow. And there was that blonde girl across the room, and it was like, oh, my God, look who's here. (laughs) I walked so slowly towards you, and I was like, I don't know if you remember me, and you absolutely did. And that, that meant a lot to me because I was still very very squishy at the time it was yeah very early first few days of sobriety is are they're rough you're quite raw they're very rough and confusing Mm -hmm. I was in a meeting this morning Uh, a young woman was there maybe a couple of months and kind of talking about her family not understanding and it was like of course they don't understand yeah. You know, and how hard it is to go home and how hard it is to tell people who aren't in recovery what you're doing. You tell anybody in recovery or any kind of personal growth and they're like, yay, you go. Good for you. How can I help you? Other people, not so much, mm-hmm. especially if they were people we encountered before who maybe aren't wishing the best for us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I actually just had a conversation with somebody a while back. They asked me about a former bandmate and asked me if I, you know, see them or play with them anymore. And they said, what happened? And I said... They were one of the casualties of my sobriety because, unfortunately, the sad fact of it is that sobriety at first can be very lonely. But what you don't realize at the time is that some people are doing you a tremendous favor by not speaking to you anymore. Right. And it's hard to understand at first. But in this case, this, this particular person, um, I think they were threatened by my sobriety because they used to really have. I used to say have to, but I think it was a, more of a get to right. take care of me. Right. And I started driving myself to gigs. And I'm like, everybody else in my world is really proud of me that I'm driving <laughs> at 34 years old. And you're mad that I'm not riding with you anymore yeah. and that I don't need you to be the hero. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's hard to believe if you're not in it. But right. that is the case. Right. But it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And that's why we need this kind of community and these kind of friendships when it comes to right being sober um so we have the same anniversary month which to me i cherish 
and we've gotten together multiple times and I love being able to give you a chip. And I know, that's very special. It always comes from you. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's why I, I only do it for the chips. I've told people this my whole sobriety. I love the chips. It's like a little prize every, every yeah. year. But um, now you are also, importantly, an author. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and it, and it ties into my recovery because I really, I started writing as a, as a kid, maybe as a young teenager. It was a fantasy. It was a dream. Um, but we, when we're using substances, we don't, we don't address our dreams. We, don't, we fantasize about them. We play with them and put them in a little box, and then we go get high or drunk or shop or whatever it is we're going to do. And um, I remember it was like right before recovery, right as the, the, the baby steps of getting me in there, and a therapist said to me, I was like, I told her this big secret that I wanted to be a writer. And she said, well, mostly what those people do is write. <laughs> <laughs> and she sort of challenged me. She Sage-like said, advice. why don't you write something and send it out and see what happens? I found out a year later that she was calling my, that she didn't think I could write. She thought, like, let's get this fantasy out of the way so that we can find out what's really going on with this Ooh. young woman. And I, you know, and this rarely happens, but I wrote something. I sent it to a newspaper. They published it. And I was like, oh my God. And she was like, oh my God, now I have to deal with her as a writer. Um, but I did it and I kept going and I kept going. And then over time I began I, sort of a specialty or an angle that I like. I like to write about recovery, things that happen in people's recovery. Yeah. To let other, to, to let people in recovery know things I'm discovering after these years, but also let other people know what is this like? If this is your sister, brother, aunt, neighbor, coworker, what is this thing they're talking about? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a more uh, relevant Al-Anon kind of thing, you know? Like it's not so like tactile in textbook. It's more yeah. of like here's a here's a story. Here's a for instance. Yeah, and I do a lot of that, and I do a lot of um, you know telling my own stories of before recovery, so that I and everybody else knows why I'm doing this. Yeah, because I have to say I was one of those women who looked pretty good on the outside, and so. When I was, there were people who saw it up close. God help you if you were in a relationship with me. You know why I got sober. But other people, like at work, maybe who didn't see that stuff up close, they were like, oh, really? You weren't so bad. You weren't so this. You weren't so that. And I was like, no, really. Like, look at this. And look at this to understand me, but also look at this because there may be another coworker that you're missing all the clues. Yeah. And you could help save somebody's life. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mysteriously disappeared from work for a week. Uh, to go to detox, which was not planned. Yeah. Uh, luckily, my mother worked in the building and was able to tell my boss and keep it on the DL. Yeah. Because I remembered my unit at work, they were all very, very involved in one another's lives. And you would hear like, hey, Frank, aren't you going on vacation tomorrow? Oh, yeah, have fun in Sedona. Like they all knew. Everything. So I was terrified to come back to work. And my boss, I don't know how he handled it, but he handled it very well. But one of the first things he said to me when I got back was like, I had no idea. And I looked at him. I was like, are you headless? (laughs) How did you not know? Right. I was getting drunk at lunch. Yeah. And you wonder. Yeah, Yeah. But I mean... I was just, I don't know. I was better at hiding it from some than others. And I think some people just didn't pay attention. I also, what I did for a living was play rock and roll. So So it looked like it fit in. Yeah. Right. So nobody was super concerned. But yeah, like I had some people that seemed very surprised when, when everything came to a head. 
And there are more people that were like, well, thank God, you know? Right. And I think you might have even, and maybe I'm fantasizing this or something, but like, I think there was just a touch of like, you know, maybe it was just a general welcome. But when I saw you that day, there was like, it's like, oh, good. She's good. She's here. here. <laughs> You're here. Because you may have picked up right. on it, even though it was almost 10 years later. I mean, obviously, I had a problem all the way back then. I lost my job because of right. it. And um, I was leaving anyway. I was going to I was going to quit them before they quit me. But uh, but I think you you must have picked up on it somehow, because I know like nobody really came that close to me. And I was also in the lobby of a mental health clinic. So <laughs> I didn't necessarily stand out. <laughs> right. You know what? That's a, it's an interesting thing to talk about, too, because obviously you and I talk about being in recovery. Right. And I think that's a service. Other people in recovery a long time, maybe they choose not to, which is A-OK. Sure. I feel like it's important because all those years that people were looking at me as like this nice lady, professional appearance, all that stuff, I was dying inside. Yeah. And nobody knew. Um, could could some intervention have happened earlier if somebody had connected some dots? Could Would I have been better at asking for help if some of it was out there. So I feel I also want people to know it's not Skid Row. It's not um you know the made for TV movie mm-hmm. um but it's it's lovely people and nice people and yeah. professional people and talented people and musicians and writers and artists doctors and, and bankers and yeah. do- doctors and it's everybody. And that is so important. I mean, I'm very vocal about it as well for for multiple reasons. Um, first of all, there, one of the first things that I learned and my favorite message is like, identify, don't compare because there were some people in the very first meeting that I went to, when I talked about my accident, like falling and and maybe falling, maybe getting beat up, who knows, waking up on a sidewalk. And I said that like, it was the most terrifying thing I could ever think of. And looking around the room and watching people nod, like that was just a Wednesday for them, you know, like, (laughs) Oh yeah, I did that seven times. What's your point. Right. And on the other side of the coin, watching some like, you know, like soccer mom talk about how she snuck white wine in the toilet bin or something like that. And I was like, that's weak, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but like you, like, so for some, it's like, okay. And the best, like people are like, you can go out and wait for all of those things to happen and then come back. So like people have different bottoms, like, you know, high bottoms, low bottoms, but also I, I'm mostly vocal about it because I want people to know that you can still have a fantastic social life. I don't suggest that everybody spend time in bars. It's definitely not the easiest thing in the world, but it's not impossible. Right. And that's what's important because my only depiction of sobriety growing up was uh, a toss-up between my father, who was a dry drunk. So I thought I was going to be like a miserable prick if I ever got sober, which I mean I am, but for different reasons. (laughs) Or Sam Malone from Cheers, yes, who had every other episode had this moment where he was like shaking and reaching for something. And I was like, I don't want to spend my life like that. But that's how it's depicted on TV. Right. And in movies, you always have this shaky person. I've never had one of those moments where I've reached for something and then somebody calls at the last minute. Oh, thank God. You know, and I'm sure right. people have, but that's not the truth. Right. So, And, and for me, it's interesting because, you know, and some of the, the good advice that we get early on is like, like, don't go to bars and don't go to places where there's alcohol. Very wise until you figure out what's going to work sure. for you. But. I didn't drink in bars. So when I go to bars now, I am fascinated. I sit at the 
bar. I look at all the pretty colors. And it's like, this is what my friends in the voting chairs are talking about. Yeah. Like, look at this show here. Because that, but me in a basement drinking whiskey out of a plastic mug and calling it an Irish coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was a bad place to go. Yeah. I had so I had so much denial. One of my my earliest forms of denial was I ate my alcohol. I put Kahlua on ice cream. I put whiskey in coffee and put a ton of whipped cream on it. I always had a spoon in my hand. Wow. So, you know, that's another way to hide and and I didn't think I was hiding anything. It was like later it was like I realized like that's alcoholism. Yeah. Half a bottle of Kahlua on one scoop of ice cream. That's a problem <laughs> dessert. It just, it just goes to show you, I've never even thought about something like that. And right. I thought about everything. But again, I didn't have to hide mine as right. much. There was one venue that um, actually gave me like an ultimatum. They said, you can come back and play, but you can't drink while you're performing. Wow. And I was like, okay. I got this, and I brought a flask, and I went into the bathroom and nipped on the flask. Wow. And that was mostly just because, honestly, like at that point in my alcoholism, I would feel physical pain if, if I started to something. even remotely detox. Yeah. If it, like a few hours passed, like my body would start to like seize up if I didn't have a sip of something. Right. Um, and that's another thing that people don't don't fully get. But wow, pouring it on on ice cream and oh my god, whipped cream and and the little sugar rims on glasses and pretty glasses. Of course, until they stopped being pretty. You yeah. Know, as it progresses, the glasses get crappier. Sure. But, yeah. but in my head, it's still a really pretty Irish coffee. I'm gonna make a beautiful cocktail tonight, and then like a few years later, like where's that solo cup? I think there's only it'll work a handful of cigarette butts in that. I can just rinse that out real quick. Right. And, you know. right. Yeah. Oh, so um, how many how many books do you have? I have I have three books, and I'm working on a new book right now. Okay. Um, my first book, I also write essays and columns for the newspaper. So my first book was a collection of those. Okay. A lot of that is about spirituality and community, and I always worked some aspect of recovery into into that work as well, because um, it felt really important to say I too am a person in recovery, and if anybody ever has a question, like ask me. Yeah. And I'll tell you all about it. That kind of thing. The second book came into recovery because one of the things, um, maybe at about maybe year 15 or so, I was noticing that in the rooms, in meeting rooms, I wasn't saying things that felt really true. Like we were all say it, talking like it was early recovery, but some things had changed. And I didn't feel comfortable saying, I don't quite believe that anymore. I don't quite do it like that anymore. And so the conversations were happening in the parking lot, and I, I began to say to people, do you feel this too? And I wanted to talk about what it's like in longer, later recovery. Nice. When the issues are actually different, because I always, I always say, there's a, we say in recovery, how do you get to be an old timer? It's one of the sayings, right? Don't drink and don't die. Yeah. And you'll get to be an old timer. But there's small print in that contract, which is you're going to age and people you love, if you stay sober a long time, people you love will die mm -hmm. and you will have to deal with grief. And because we have human bodies, you will have a serious illness. Somebody you love will have a serious illness. You will have to go through these hard things that everybody else in the world goes through without your favorite medicine and mm -hmm. crutch and strategy. So you better get some more. And I began to write about what it's like to age in recovery. 
pardon me if I get the title wrong, I wrote it down. Was that Never Leave Your Dead? Or? No, that one was um, uh, Out of the Woods. Out of the Woods. Because we talk about, like, we come into the woods and then you come out of the woods. Oh, okay. But Out of the Woods has its own challenges. And what was the proper title of the other one that I just... Oh, and Never Leave Your Dead. Oh, I had it right. Is, yeah. Okay. The book that I wrote next was about That was trauma. your third book. My third okay. book about trauma okay. and about military trauma and a family story. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And I realized only recently, I'll tell you this, I, recently I thought, like, what's the, what's the through line here? What, what is, and I feel like the, my favorite thing to write about is what n- nobody else is talking about or what it feels like nobody else is talking about. Nobody was talking about aging and recovery. Mm-hmm. Nobody was talking about the fact that military trauma has been around since the ancient Greeks and Romans. You know, we're, we're so used to Vietnam and Iraq and that kind of thing. And I had a family member who was horribly affected before World War II by trauma. Um, his story is, this is the man my mother married late in life, but in his first marriage, he murdered his first wife. Oh, my God. Because he had military trauma. But there, we didn't have all these words. We have all this language. Yeah. Now, and he didn't have any. So I went back and traced his whole story, found out about incredible veterans and veteran stories. And I loved that, doing that work. Wow. Yeah. I would love to, if I were to ever write a book, Besides the collection of essays, I feel like that'll be my first one because yeah. then I don't have to sit and commit to like too much. It'll be like little bits here <laughs> right. and there. But I would love to tie in um, like comedy and trauma. Like find the funniest people I know and say, what's And you your, know there's trauma. That's what's where your it's coming from. That's where it comes from. What's right. your trauma? Right. And like sometimes I joke when I see like a, a not good comedian. I'm like, they must have had a terrific childhood. <laughs> no, because, because there's no edge to it. <laughs> Would your dad stick around? <laughs> no alcoholism in your family? What? No substance abuse? What's going on? Right. Um, so, what is, so your fourth book is? The fourth book, the book I'm working on now, is the working title is um, Sober Recovery, Financial Serenity, Every Stage of Recovery. Because it feels like we... We joke about money in recovery, you know, we talk about like shopping or we say, you talk about our credit cards, but the secret is there's an enormous amount of bankruptcy and there's suicide Mm -hmm. because, and it's not just recovery, in our culture, it is not okay to talk honestly and openly about money. Yeah. Um, And the the example that I often get, everybody has a best friend, right? Somebody we've known a really long time. When you have a really long time best friend, guess what? You know something about their sex life. Because it's come up, you know, about a relationship or maybe a health thing, but you've learned something about their sex life. You also learn something about their spiritual life. You know, someday you said, like, do you pray? Do you actually believe in God? Like, what's, what's your deal? But then think about that same person. Do you know how much money they actually make? No, we don't. Because we don't talk about it. That's the most shameful thing in our culture is the truth about money. And for people in recovery, that's dangerous. Yeah. Because it's a secret and it's shameful. And we don't, because it's secret and shameful, then we don't get help. Yeah. And we come into recovery below the bar. We come in with all kinds of financial issues or Mm -hmm. financial challenges or we're paying child support or we racked up all this debt. And then we act like we're regular people, but we we couldn't possibly be financially regular people. Yeah. And so I wanted to write a book that said, okay, in early recovery, pretty much like stay sober, try and try not to incur any new debt. That's the challenge. Maybe years five to ten okay, let's, let's work that debt down, let's do some things, let's talk about the shopping, let's talk about buying a bunch of stuff. And then, because we're going to stay sober a long time and going to age, 
there is going to be some version of retirement coming. What do you need to do so that you're not in pain, so you're not uncomfortable, so you're not tempted toward bad behaviors financially? That's um, but awesome. I really I want to have that conversation wide open. That's such an important conversation. I have such a direct correlation between financial st- stability and emotional stability. Absolutely. And when um, there were times um, before I got sober when like things would go bad and I where things would go bad and I would immediately like fall apart mentally and be like oh my god like I'm never going to get it together this is the worst this is terrible and uh what I did was um like I mean times where I would have to run an extension cord up from my downstairs neighbor's house just to keep my fridge on while I figured out how to pay my bills and so when I first got sober and like some of the best advice that a lot of people gave me was you know don't don't buy a house don't you know, because people are like, I'm sober now. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, it's like, don't make any big decisions. Don't make any big purchases. Right. right. And luckily the, the, the money has gotten much better and I've been working. And I mean, the biggest part was being paid in cash was dangerous for what I did. So the yeah. money came home yeah. with me, but like quitting my day job, uh, 10 years ago that my biggest fear was that I wouldn't be financially stable and that it would make me want to drink right. or use. Right. And so it is, it is a very important conversation yeah. to have. Because there, there's, there's fear around money, there's shame around money. And we know those are the, those are the two things that drive people to use mm-hmm. or to some bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. So it's a very important conversation to have. My, my funniest favorite story about it was when I was thinking about quitting my job, I went to, um, I was sitting at my desk and I asked the universe to give me a sign uh, if it was an okay thing to quit my job. And at the time, I was waiting to hear back about a, uh, a potential weekly gig up in Lake George. And I, I said, universe, give me a sign. And my phone rang, and I answered it. And the guy goes, is this Aaron? And I said, yeah. He goes, Bill Wilson here. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? And I almost like threw my phone for those of you listening that don't know, Bill Wilson is, is one of the founders of AA, but it's also the name of this guy that runs the steamboat company in Lake George. Perfect. And he goes, I hear you're looking for some gigs. And I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, okay, I'll take them all. And I, like, get off the phone, <laughs> and I run to a meeting, and whoever's qualifying, I'm just, like, waiting to, like, put my hand up, like, I have something to say. Bill Wilson called me personally. <laughs> and because I knew that whole room, and I got to that part, and they were like, oh. I was like, yeah, I go, so I'm quitting my job as soon as I get back from this meeting. It was so great, but Aww. yeah, so, I, but there is a lot to be said about that, and I look forward to that book. Yeah. Um, where can people find your works? Uh, they, um, any bookstore. Okay. Um, especially, please, independent bookstores. We need to keep them in business. They mention build up, mention they, a few. Okay, so in the Albany Capital Region, we have the Book House at Stuyvesant Plaza. Okay. We have Market Books in Troy. Um, we have the uh, Open Gate in Schenectady, I think it's called. But there's a ton. And, and then, of course, the Big A on Amazon. All the books are on Amazon, Okay. Too. For those of you that aren't yep. that adventurous. Right. You know, near an independent bookstore. Books are books, but definitely try right. an independent bookstore first. Um, do, do you have, are they like any audio books or can they be found like on like the, the book 
like the, not yet but I just just somebody told me recently had said to me why haven't you recorded your books and I had not thought of it that would be fantastic yeah because yeah. I think so many people are doing audible and all kinds of things like that yeah, yeah. like well people like podcasts they like listening, listening to, to audio books right do you have it is it on like any like kindle type readers or anything yep. like that through, through Amazon you can do that okay yeah. well I encourage my listeners all four of you <laughs> look up Diane Cameron, and of course, I will post and tag and share Thank everything you. when the interview comes out, um, and just get the word out. I, I I can't wait to read the new book when it comes out. It sounds fantastic. Thank you. I think what you and I share, we share our sisterhood, we share October, we share our commitment, but we also want other women's lives to be better. One hundred better sooner than ours were. That's, 100%. that's the thing. We can't, we can't prevent people living through their trauma or maybe starting down that path, but we can be part of shortening their journey. Yes, exactly. Like I, I took a few years to let go of a lot of regret, especially with what I do for a living and thinking what a, what a jump start I could have gotten had I focused in my 20s, had I gotten sober in my 20s. But that just there's nothing I can do about that. And so I had to let that go and just make the most of every day I have moving forward. But if my story can get a teenager or somebody in their early 20s to, to stop doing that, to, to get right. their shit together, like, right. you're just so much. My life is just keeps getting better every single day that I'm sober. Right. And I'm, I couldn't be more grateful for it. And it gave you your comedy. So grateful for that. I know. Right. I think one of the first jokes I told was at that meeting because it was called A Soft Place to Land and I made the joke <laughs> about the dead squirrel that I saw and I was like, I guess he didn't find a soft place to land and everybody laughed and I was like, comedy! Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. But I, I'm so grateful for you and happy anniversary, like 39 years. Thank I, you. I Thank want you. what you have and that's a saying in AA, by the way, I want what you have and um and, and you have it, Aaron. Well, you have it, Aaron. And you're and you're reaching a big public, and you're reaching women and men and younger people. And when you, the other thing is, when you use recovery concepts in your comedy, you're letting people know the other thing that you and I know, which is it's fun to be in recovery. People, I know they imagine that we're just like gloomy and crying all the time and sad sacks and the, some of the funniest people, some of the funniest stories I have ever heard are in folding chairs in church basements 100 percent, and that's again that's another important reason to be vocal about it and not be like I'm, I'm not shy about my sobriety I, I i don't do it to brag i do it so that other people can see right. how possible right it is because it's so possible i mean it's like i want to say like if i can do it anyone can do it but yes. i mean I, I go to bars all the time. I probably maybe shouldn't. It's not, again, it's not for everybody, but you can still have a, a very wonderful and creative and fun life. You don't have to stay home. You don't have to lock yourself up. Right. You don't have to not have fun. You can still go on vacations, but you have to do the work and you have to stay connected right. to beautiful, wonderful sober people that are also doing it. And just, right. it's so possible. And whatever your dreams are, whether they're creative dreams or family dreams or work dreams, they get a shot when you get sober. Yep. There's a better chance that they will happen. Yeah. And I was talking to an old friend uh, just yesterday about this. And the most important thing that people, like, because some people just aren't ready. Like, I've, I've definitely had people that reach out or just mention casually, I feel like this or that. And I'm like, all right. But they know that they can come to me and be right. like, I'm ready. And I'll take them to a meeting. I'll get them into detox. I'll do whatever right. I can for them. 
but sometimes they're just not ready because the thing is you have to want it more than you want anything else. Right. And you have to put it first. You have to put it before your family. You have to put it before your jobs because without it, you won't have any of those things. And so that's what starts like people are like, well, I want to, but it's like, okay, well that, but means that you don't want it as much like yet. Yeah. Like you, it has to be your, your only priority for a bit. And then you can add some other stuff back in, but, but it is possible. And we have, you know, wonderful boots as well. Yes. We do have, we always admire one another's boot (laughs) collections. So boots are possible. Financial security. That's right. Treat yourself to some boots. Amazing friends. Friends you might not have met in other places. 100%. Yeah. And yeah, so all of the ones that can't handle your sobriety, that, that move away from you when you put a mirror up to them and make them uncomfortable. If they come back someday, great. But if not, you're making room for, for new friends and new right. family. And it's relationships that I've had since I've gotten sober are right. are And new friends all over the world. I've been to meetings in other countries. And it's like, as soon as people figure out, oh, you're visiting from some other place and you're in recovery, they're like, okay, let me tell you what restaurant to go to, what not to go to, which is the tourist trip. Do you need a ride to your hotel? People in recovery are so kind and so generous. They really are. I mean, yeah. I go when I'm out on tour, especially when I'm right. feeling like particularly lonely because I usually tour by myself. Right. And some days I'm great and some days I'm like, mm, me, you know. Yeah. And then I go to one of these meetings and somebody will be like, there's another great one tomorrow. I don't usually talk about my shows because I don't want anybody right. to think that I'm in there like, I'll be appearing at, <laughs> you know. Like, that's not why I'm there. But people are like, did you say you play music? And I'm like, yeah, but... Yeah, you know, I'm very delicate about that because I don't want people to think that I'm in there promoting that stuff. I'm right. not. That's the furthest right. thing. And I also don't want to bring drunks to my shows. <laughs> I don't want to be like, you're not relapsing at one of my shows. Right. It's not going to be on me. But people are just like, you know, how long are you in town for? Here's these other things to do. Right. There's people that I've met on tour that I still talk to occasionally, like, you know, email back and forth or just let them know when I'm back in town. They let me know when they're in town. You just meet the most fascinating, beautiful people. Right. It's, it's a wonderful thing. So, yeah, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. So much fun to talk to you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for so this. much, guys. Make sure you look up Diane Cameron. Make sure you read all of her books. Get them the th- places that we mentioned, but try the independent bookstores first because they love you and they need you and we need them yeah and we're also again we're recording here at gilderland public library are your books here yes they are well what do you know my books are in all the regional libraries because not everybody has you know 10 15 bucks you know but the books are there there you go guys pick up a copy of one of her three amazing books into the woods Out, out of the woods out of the woods never leave your dead and looking for signs looking for signs I'm, I'm, I did bad homework, but thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Get your copies today. Make sure you catch wherever uh, she's doing readings and signings and look out for that next book. I can't wait. Um, thank you again. Uh, this is Erin Harks. This is Mistress of None, and we'll see you in a bit. You're listening to the Mistress of None podcast with Aaron Harks. This is Aaron Harks with Mistress of None. That was Diane Cameron. 
no funny spelling there. It's Diane Cameron. Look her up. Make sure you go get her books, read her books. If she ever speaks, go listen. She's really, she's just the, the most delightful person, and I'm so grateful to have her in my life. And today... I am celebrating 13 years of being sober and it's because of relationships with people like that and because of the support that I've had and the community that I've built to stay sober. And again, not to not to beat a dead horse, but if you are looking for help, there's so much help out there. You can go to a meeting. You don't have to say anything at all. You can just sit and listen and see if it's right for you. I talked to a gentleman last night at my show who has four years sober and he was like telling on himself. He said, you know, I, I don't really go to meetings that much anymore. And he looked so shameful. And I was like, don't be ashamed of that. Meetings are not for everybody. It's not, there's no perfect program. It's whatever works for you. And for me, I don't always get to meetings it's a good start. It's a good jumping off point. But for me, it's been more about the community that I've built around myself and the friendships that I've made and the connections that I have in my life. There's people that I can reach out to at any given moment. And so sometimes just getting together and having dinner or coffee with one of those people or just sending them a text, just chatting back and forth, completely casual. It doesn't all have to be about being an alcoholic, but just staying connected to those people that kind of that keeps you in check you know that it keeps you oh, I can't think of the word right now I'm an idiot today um it's just it's good to know like you 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 know that these people are are there for you and that they're looking out for you and if you're having a problem you can reach out to them uh, keeps you honest I guess I'll think of the word like an hour from now and it'll be too late but um my day off so what do you want from me but it is it's so it's so great and it's so important and there's so many resources so don't ever hesitate to reach out if you need to and we're gonna have more comics and more musicians <laughs> coming up it won't always be so heavy and I hope that you enjoyed it I hope it wasn't too heavy it's just as important as anything else I do and it's important to talk about so if it helped even one person, then I've done my job. So happy 13 years to me and happy 24 hours to some of you. And I love you all. And thank you so much for listening. And this has been Mistress of None and I am Aaron Harks and we'll see you next week. Bye.